This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey there, it's Debbie, and welcome to Playback Friday. Most Fridays, I re-release one of my favorite conversations from the archive. So unless you're a longtime listener of the show, there's a good chance you haven't heard this one yet. And even if you have, you just might get something completely different from it listening to it this time around. At home, with medication, with a therapist, she usually has two to three, maybe four significant meltdowns a week because of anxiety. When we got out there in the woods, in that six weeks, she had one partial meltdown, and that was all. Welcome to the Tilt Parenting Podcast, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing, and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. I'm your host, Debbie Reber, and today we're talking with Jill Emil Hines, the mother of a 14-year-old daughter with anxiety who's taken extraordinary measures to support her daughter. Last year, Jill and her daughter have gone on extended hiking expeditions on the Appalachian Trail, the longest hiking-only footpath in the world that extends all the way from Maine to Georgia and the eastern United States. Jill's story is fascinating, but perhaps what I love most about our conversation is that Jill offers a beautiful example of what it looks like when a parent commits to becoming fluent in their child's unique language and adapts their life to create experiences to help their child thrive. This is not to say that parents should pull their kid out of school, stock up on camping supplies, and hit the trail, but I do think it's really inspiring to consider how we as parents can creatively figure out ways to meet our children where they're at in a powerful way. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Tilt Parenting Podcast. To learn more about Tilt, visit www.tiltparenting.com. Hey everyone, this is Debbie Reber with the Tilt Parenting Podcast, and today I'm happy to welcome to the show Jill Emmelhines. Hi, Debbie. I've been really looking forward to speaking with you ever since I was kind of looking back at our correspondence, and I think you filled out my podcast suggestion form back when I very first launched Tilt. And in that note to me, you wrote that you thought we should explore the topic of the significance of outdoor time for our kids, and specifically what you wrote was... We work hard to add this to daily life for our daughter, and later this week, she and I leave for our second five-week backpacking trip on the Appalachian Trail, a setting where her debilitating anxiety drops to almost zero. So that message totally piqued my interest, and I know there are lots of listeners raising children who struggle with anxiety, so I definitely wanted to get you on the show. So here you are, and thank you so much for doing this. Oh, I'm glad to talk. I'd love if you could just kind of share your story with us. Maybe tell us a little bit about your family and your daughter. I I was doing a little, you know, I always do my online research. I know you have several children, but it's your youngest daughter who is 14. Um, That is the one you did the Appalachian Trail with. Is that correct? Yep, that's correct. Yeah, as you said, we've got a big family. We've got seven kids. And at this point, Anna is the only one still left at home. The rest are grown and on their own. And Anna has had mental health issues that she struggled with first diagnosed when she was five. And it's a whole alphabet soup of different diagnoses. But the 
most significant issue we struggle with is her overwhelming anxiety that causes her at times to shut down. Other times she melts down with, you know, screaming or crying or rages uh, when she's just overwhelmed with all of the sensory chaos that's around her. We've discovered that from when she was very young, that when she can be outdoors, that seems to help calm her down. There's, there's less anxiety when she's not around man-made chaos. So that's very often, you know, for her younger years, that just meant she spent a lot of time outdoors in the backyard playing. We tried to spend a lot of time going to playgrounds. But even there, there's a lot of other kids running around, a lot more chaos. And so we figured out, well, let's try parks, city parks. And so we would go to the park and she could wander the paths, you know, the, the paved paths in the, in the trees and in the woods. And that was a big help too. But then this past, a year ago in the summer, we talked about, my husband and I talked about things and we decided to try something kind of radically different and what would happen if we took an extended trip, as you said, took an, you know, five week backpacking trip living in the woods and just see what that would do for her. That sounds like a huge adventure. And so you came up with that idea. How did that go in terms of talking with your daughter about it? And I'm curious what her response was. Well, first I knew it was, it was a dream of mine from the time I was in high school. So for me, this was not some big sacrificial thing that I was doing. So I could talk about it very excitedly. What we did is we just kind of presented to her, this is what we were doing. Um, We didn't ask if she wanted to. We just said, this is what you and mom are going to be doing this fall. She likes going shopping. So going and buying a whole bunch of gear was great fun to her. And to her, the focus, of course, as a teenager was, can I get it in the color I like? <laughs> but but yes, yeah, yeah, so we got all the gear. And when I had done my research, what I discovered was some people say you need to do all kinds of preparation hikes. But a lot of people say, really, just start slow when you get to the mountains, because if you don't live in the mountains, you can't really prepare your body for it anyways. And so based on that, I very carefully did not take her on any big, long preparation hikes. My fear was that if it hurt, if she was uncomfortable, that she would decide she was not going to go. So we did one three-mile hike with only a partial pack, which went really well, and she loved it. And then we left and went to the trail. What we told her was, Daddy will pick us back up in five weeks at this location further down the trail. So the he, first few days when she would get frustrated or be really tired and she would be exhausted and be saying, I just want to go home. And I would say, well, here's a snack and let's look at the trees. Let's draw some pictures. And remember, dad's picking us up in five weeks. So we have to get to where he's going to pick us up. Now, my husband and I both had planned ahead of time that if needed, I could call him and he would be there. He would come pick us up within a day. But we just didn't tell her that piece. So within after a couple of days of she would like it and then she'd be grumbly and then she would like it. After that, she settled in and she just calmed down and she loved it. So it became a very good experience. For other parents, I think they would have to figure out what would work best for their kid. Anna know, knew that she loves to be outdoors. So we were just adding a new flavor to being outdoors. For a parent who their kid has really not been outdoors or that would be a radically different thing, I don't think I would take my approach of just drag her out there. (laughs) So each parent would need to figure out what would work best with your child. But for us, we figured that 
if she had a bad experience or a negative one to begin with, that she would likely put her foot down and refuse to even give it a try. Mm-hmm. So that's why we chose the route we did of just taking her out there and let's see what happens. Well, it sounds like it worked out well for you. It worked great. Um, she, we did the uh, actually six weeks last fall at home with medication, with a therapist. She usually has two to three, maybe four significant meltdowns a week because of anxiety. When we got out there in the woods, in that six weeks, she had one partial meltdown and that was all. That's incredible. Yes. Yes. Absolutely transformative. And so that's where my husband and I talked about it once we got back in the fall and kind of said, well, obviously we're going to keep doing this because it brings her so much peace. So as you said in the intro, um, she and I completed another five weeks of hiking this spring and had a similar result that she did not have anxiety when she was hiking. So I have so many questions. (laughs) Not sure where to start. I mean, I guess I want to go back, but before I do that, I'm just curious, have there been kind of a long-term effect. So while you're outdoors, you're having this kind of meltdown-free experience. Is there a residual effect of that when you get back to the quote-unquote real world? Maybe for a very short time. The bigger thing that it has done is she now has an experience to be able to process and compare life in the real world to what it's like there. And so you know how one of the techniques that they'll often use with somebody with anxiety is to say, you know, try to think of your happy thoughts or your happy place, you know, try to take deep breaths. There's all these techniques. And for her, they really didn't connect. But now that she's had that time in the woods, I can intervene and say, sweetie, seems like you've got some high anxiety. Can you close your eyes and just take some deep breaths and think about as if you were walking on the Appalachian Trail? See if you can bring yourself back to feeling like what that was like. And not always, but a lot of times that is an effective intervention. It still takes me intervening and it takes her doing the work. The anxiety is there, but it brings it down faster in a way that she couldn't do before we did the hiking. Wow. It's incredible. What a gift to give to her to be able to have that experience. Yeah. Yep. Well, let's let's go back. I, you know, you mentioned earlier that you noticed that when your daughter was in nature that she seemed to be calmer and uh, is there any kind of specific memory that you have I'm just curious when you first noticed that do you remember what that was like and kind of making that connection when you ask the question my mind goes to something a little different than your question which is when she was about two years old we had a fenced-in backyard that was very safe, and we had a dog that had such a long coat that in the winter, he didn't come in the house. He stayed outside because otherwise he overheated. And at two years old, she would get up in the morning, she'd eat her breakfast, and she would put her own snowsuit on and get out the back door and go be outside with the dog. And eventually, I would drag her back in because her poor little lips were turning blue, and I would warm her up. And once she was all warm, she would put her snowsuit back on and she would go back outside. And she was just determined she had to be outside. And that continued once it got to be spring and summer, you know, that she she on her own chose to spend whenever possible as much time outside as we would let her. And so I didn't really notice that it helped, but it seemed for her to be more 
she demanded it as a necessity for her life. Yeah, so interesting. I think the younger our our children are, the kind of closer they are to being connected to knowing what they need, right? Because they're yeah, they're all about just you know, they're the the ego or the mind isn't involved. It's just this is what I need. I'm going to do it now, and uh, that's really interesting right. that she had that instinct at so young an age. Yes, it is. So how about, I'm curious what the experience was like for you. Now, you said that this was not a sacrifice. This was actually something that you were excited to do and have wanted to do. And I can, I'm just wondering, was it challenging for you at times kind of having your space or taking care of yourself during the hike itself? Not really. The first couple weeks last fall, she insisted she had to be behind me. I had to lead. So that meant she went at my pace, which I am bigger, older, and slower than her. (laughs) So she would have gone a lot faster, but she was not comfortable on her own, which is I fully understood and supported. But after a couple of weeks, we would in the morning set out, well, this is where we're going to stop for the night and look here on the map. This is where we're going to try to stop for lunch. It's a nice overlook or whatever it was. And so after a few weeks, I let her just go ahead of me. And she was, you know, expected to stop at certain spots and wait for me to catch up so we could check in. And what that meant is during those time frames in between check-ins, I was actually in the woods by myself. But I knew if she had a problem, she was ahead of me and I would catch up to her. When we're at home, another issue related to Anna's anxiety is that she disappears at times into the neighborhood and I have no idea where she is. As a result of that, She is always on my radar, like you would do with a toddler. Where is my child? What are they doing? Are they safe? Once we were out in the woods and I knew she was comfortable and she was ahead of me, that day-to-day, moment-to-moment stress on me was gone. I didn't have to worry about, is she going to disappear? Because she's following the trail. She's following the science. Me not having to be on guard, on edge every moment was a huge gift for me. And then, of course, I love nature and I can enjoy the view and the birds and, you know, all the different things out there, just like she was doing. That too was something enjoyable for me. As you're talking, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, I'm homeschooling my child. He's going to be 12 in August. And just as you're describing the stress not being there when you're in nature, homeschooling, while it was a really difficult adjustment for both of us, probably more for me. I also don't have that daily stress that I used to experience when I would have to pick him up from school every day and have to kind of deal with the ramifications of whatever happened in school that day. And so having that stress gone has been such a gift for me. So I totally can appreciate that. And, and, and also on top of that, you getting to be in a, in nature, which is a happy place for you. Sounds like kind of a perfect experience for you two to have together. Yes, it is it is an excellent an excellent opportunity for us. And as you said earlier, it's a gift to her, but it really I think is a gift to me too. You know, that I can have that time, but also it gives us a shared experience that we're not struggling against each other. Mm-hmm. You know, it's happy memories and stories that we share together and far too often for any parent of any child, no matter what the child's situation is, when they get to their teen years, you tend to have a lot more struggles and, you know, they're trying to assert their independence and you're trying to get them safely to adulthood and there gets to be a lot more struggle. And so this is a, you know, we still have those struggles, 
but we also have these shared memories mm-hmm. of good experiences together. And that too is a gift. A lot of my work before I created Tilt has been in the teen girl space and creating projects and writing books that were aimed at helping girls tap into their confidence. I can just imagine that the experience that you have given your daughter by doing these hikes, by her being independent in them, sometimes being out of sight of you and kind of doing her own thing, that that's also just hugely boosting for her self-esteem. It is. It is. The other thing that's really interesting when we're hiking, now, you know, when we take a walk in the city park, we don't get this piece of the experience. But when we're doing that long distance hike, almost all of the other hikers that are out there are adults. But my daughter quickly realized that she is the equal to every person out there because she's carrying the same pack. She's doing the same chores, filtering water, helping to build the campfire, helping to cook, whatever it is. She is equal to an adult out there and they treat her that way. Mm -hmm. And that too is a gift because far too often our kids, they feel like they're being treated as lesser. The adults are the strong ones and the kids are not. And so out there, it gives her a setting. It wasn't a made up setting. It just in that setting, she truly is an equal. And that too, I really think gave her lots more confidence. Yeah, a sense of, a sense of worth that she is the same and as good as the others that are out there. And that is not, not something that every 14-year-old girl feels on a regular basis. Absolutely. So that's really cool to hear. Very cool. We'll be right back after this quick break. So in our house these days, Darren and I have been working together to uplevel our nutrition and healthy lifestyle habits. Maybe it's our age, our changing bodies, my shifting hormones, whatever the reason, I'm here for it. And that's why I'm loving Green Chef, a meal company that makes eating well easy with plans to fit every lifestyle. Green Chef offers gut-friendly recipes each week and is committed to providing a holistic approach to nutrition by offering meals that contribute to the overall well-being of your entire body. Darren and I are particularly big fans of their nutrient-dense, science-backed gut and brain health recipes, developed in partnership with registered dietitians that improve digestion, reduce bloat, and also boost energy and immunity. This week's favorites, turkey, black bean, and sweet potato chili, and the Baja chicken bowls with mango salsa. I mean, don't those sound delicious? But if that's not your thing, you can choose from a variety of customized meals to suit your lifestyles with preferences like keto, vegan, vegetarian, fast and fit, Mediterranean, gluten-free, and protein-packed. Whatever you choose, you'll get farm-fresh ingredients, organic whole fruits and veggies, and premium proteins, along with chef-crafted, nutritionist-approved recipes delivered straight to your door. Go to greenchef.com slash 60tilt and use code 60tilt to get 60% off plus 20% off your next two months. That's 60% off plus 20% off your next two months when you use the code 60TILT at greenchef.com slash 60TILT. Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. This year, I've been working on becoming more attuned to my body. And so I'm starting to really recognize how periodic spikes in anxiety or disruptions to my routines can seriously throw my whole system off. And as I've been traveling a ton this past month, which is both disruptive and somewhat stressful, I'm especially glad that I have the extra support of Symbiotic Plus, a three-in-one supplement from Ritual with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. 
Symbiotic Plus provides fuel to the cells that make up the gut lining to support a healthy gut barrier. And it comes in this very cool minty delayed release capsule, which was specifically designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract for delivery to the colon. The bonus is that the capsules don't need to be refrigerated, so I can easily bring them with me in my carry-on. On a personal level, I love that Ritual is committed to sustainability. They're a female-founded B Corp, meaning they are holding themselves accountable long-term to not only think about their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash tilt. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash tilt for 25% off. During the hikes themselves, I'm wondering if you could maybe just tell us what your a typical day was like. And also, I'm curious if there were any kind of difficult situations that you encountered during one of your hikes that you had to kind of push through. This spring, we we learned we can hike when it's raining every day. <laughs> um, oh. <laughs> that part was not real fun. But on one of the particular days, it was fairly cool and raining all day long. and we actually, that happened to be a day that we were actually attempting and we did succeed at it, but we were attempting the longest day we had ever hiked, which was 16 miles in one day. And that day, the challenge besides the distance, besides the rain, the challenge was that she had gone way ahead of me and we had set a place that we were supposed to stop and we were going to refill water bottles if we needed and, and have a snack together. And when I got to that place, it was pouring down rain really hard and she had not stopped. She was not waiting for me. So then I was worried. What was going on with her? Was she okay? I realized it was getting colder and with the wind and being wet. And so I stopped. I put on my rain gear, not as much for the rain, but to keep me warm. And I kept hiking and I kept pushing really hard. And I would hear from other people coming the other direction. Oh, yeah, we saw your daughter, you know, 10 minutes ahead. Or we saw your daughter a little while ago. She looks okay. And then people started saying, well, you know, she doesn't look very happy. (laughs) Oh, she doesn't look like she's doing very well. Well, I couldn't get to her. I'm hiking as fast as I can. I can't go any faster. You know, she's not thinking to stop. So finally, somebody came up along behind me and um, was hiking fairly quickly. And and, um, I said to him, you know, if you see my daughter, tell her mama really needs her to stop and wait. I need her to wait for me. Thinking, well, maybe if she's thinking it's for my purpose, (laughs) for me. And so... Maybe 10, 15 minutes later, I did, you know, I did catch up to her. She had gotten the message and she stopped and she was cold and we made her put on her rain gear and, you know, she was teary because, you know, she just felt like the rain was never going to stop and she was never going to get to the shelter. And, you know, so again, when you're hiking, you don't have a whole lot of options. So we had bundled back up, but it's warmer to keep walking. And so, you know, I pulled some chocolate out of my backpack here. Let's have this extra little treat. Um, But that was a day that I felt bad because she was so far ahead of me. I could, when she started kind of getting teary, I I wasn't there to help. But then I also think, but she didn't go into full anxiety. She just got teary, you know, and upset because she was tired, but it wasn't an anxiety reaction. And then I also had to process through and say, yeah, but you know, the day is coming not that many years from now where mama's not going to be there to help intervene. One of the things that we are very focused on as a family and with her therapist, is trying to build the skills she needs to be able to live independently as an adult and to be able to do her own interventions and do that. And so 
to some extent, I think that negative, difficult experience became a piece that we've talked about since then of the importance of recognizing what you need and trying to take care of yourself because you need to make those decisions. And so it it didn't end badly. It wasn't a tragedy. You know, it wasn't somebody got hurt. It was a challenge. It was difficult, but it became, I think, a real good learning lesson. Yeah. I mean, I can see that being something she reflects on for many years to come. Like you, that is a big, I don't know if it's a concern, but a big goal of ours is to really help Asher learn great life skills. So he has what he needs to live successfully as an independent adult. So I'm always kind of happy, you know, inside when when adversity strikes, or he's in a situation that I know is pushing him outside his comfort zone, especially with regard to his physical comfort, because that's a big issue for him. So it sounds like, like, you know, I can imagine in that moment, how you must have been feeling and, and that I would have felt a strong urge to almost break into a run <laughs> to kind of catch up, right? But it, you know, it sounds like it was exactly the experience that needed to happen. And I love that you've been able to since then reflect on it and talk about it and use it as a great example that, you know, she'll be able to carry with her. Right. right. I wanted to just ask you if you had any thoughts about, you know, just from your personal experience, it sounds like Anna has always been interested in being outside and that hasn't been a struggle. But I also know from a lot of families and including our personal experience that it can be difficult to get some kids interested in spending time outdoors. You know, when we we moved to Amsterdam from Seattle and we have the Cascade Mountains there. And I, at one point, I think Asher was maybe eight I decided we are hiking every Sunday. That's our family thing. This is what we do. We pick a trail in the mountains. We get in the Subaru, get the dog, and we go. And that was not met with joy by my child. Like, he was not into it. And and nature is my happy place. So it was this constant struggle. And it was a, there was a lot of whining and dragging feet. And, you know, somehow, and I'm so thankful for this, somehow we've gotten to a point where Asher loves to be in nature. It, but took a lot of work and just, I guess, keep getting him outside, getting him outside and trying to make it fun and interesting and helping him focus on what's in nature in a way that is engages his mind, which he's like a little science mind. So if I can get him interested in these little aspects of nature biology, then all of a sudden it's great. So I'm wondering, do you have any tips for parents who are also looking to encourage more whether it's just outdoor time in general or time more deeply immersed in nature. I think you hit two key points in what you just said. And one is, as parents, we have to be convinced that it's really important so that we're willing to continue the struggle and the fight to get our kids outside. Because if we're not convinced of it, we're going to easily be swayed by it's not worth the hassle. It's not worth the fight to get them out there. Um, And the second huge piece is you have to make it fun for them. So with my daughter, when we go, when we're out on the trail, some people, they get out there, they hike and their focus is, you know, I'm going to do 18 and 20 miles every day because my focus is how far can I hike? I've got to get there the longest distance possible. That means long days of walking. For us, that would just, I, I really don't think that would work for her. So we do much shorter miles, but then we also, two other things we have is when we find stopping spots, so maybe it's a stop for lunch, maybe it's when we've gotten to where we're going to sleep for the night, but we got there in the middle of the afternoon, 
she has time. She loves to do imagination play. And so she has time, just free time to play in the woods. So she pretends she's that knight or she's the, you know, hero. She has a stick and that's her sword. And she can just engage in play that she enjoys, but she's outside while she's doing it. The second piece of making it fun for her, like you said, for Asher, it's that science, finding the bits of science that tidbits that he can really focus on. For her, it's uh, more the creative artistic side. And so it's, can she make up a song as she's walking? Or can she think of songs that she knows and sing them that have something to do with being outdoors? And she came up with an amazing repertoire of, you know, when mama was was tired, she would sing, sing a certain song that, you know, was talking about don't give up, pick yourself up one more time. <laughs> you know, so so music was important for her. We brought along some sketching supplies, which is extra weight in the backpack, but I knew for her and for me that was an enjoyable thing. And so we would sketch a leaf or, you know, she would draw a little cartoon about what she'd seen or um, experienced that day, Ma- a made up story about what a caterpillar was doing, what was he really saying, things like that. And if for families that want to try to do something like this, I recommend you can find books or you can just go online and there are all sorts of lists of fun things to do outdoors with your kids. And so when the focus presented to the child is, let's go have fun, let's focus on the fun, and oh, by the way, it's outdoors, they may still object, but once they get there, they're going to be have focused on that fun. That's going to help get them over the hump. Another piece that just this past week that I, w- I haven't let my daughter try this yet, but I'm wondering there's this Pokemon Go. I was just going to ask you about that. Yeah, and we, I haven't let her do that we have issues where she then hyper focuses on screen time and then it's a battle. So mm-hmm. we haven't chosen to do that. But for families where their kids are focused on, you know, the screen time, the video games, you know, all of those kinds of things that comes to mind as the only way Pokemon Go works is you got to be outdoors. You know, you've got at least you're outdoors in your city, even if you're not out in nature and, you know, any being outdoors, being out in the sunshine, feeling the wind, seeing the grass, feeling the grass, those things are significant. There's a really significant book. It's called Last Child in the Woods. The author is Richard Louv, L-O-U-V. And that particular book, he is just focused on study after study after study that show the significant benefits to humans of being connected to nature. And one of the premises in the book is that one of the reasons that we have this you know, explosion of kids with all different issues, ADHD, anxiety, autism, like all these different things that a contributing factor potentially is that they've lost all connection to nature. Not that that causes it, but that that's contributing to the issues. And that was a book I'd read many years ago, and it has just really resonated with Anna as, yes, this is true. And it's an easy read. It's not, it makes reference to studies. So it's based on scientific studies. But it's not a heavy-duty academic book. It's meant for parents who are wanting some reinforcement as to why is it that this is important. And so I would urge any families that haven't already discovered it, go find that book. <laughs> That's great. The, I was I was just going to ask you for favorite resources. So thanks for sharing that. And I'll, for listeners, I'll leave uh, a link to that in the show notes so you don't have to be writing that down right now. We'll be right back after this quick break. Hey there, it's Debbie. I love making this show and sharing conversations about how to support our awesome neurodivergent kids. I've seen how even one little insight from an interview can spark a big shift in daily life. 
But I know that raising complex kids can be messy and lonely. And just when we think we figured it out, something comes up that boots us right back to feeling overwhelmed and stuck. That's why I've poured everything into creating a way for parents like us navigating complex parenting journeys to join together and chart a path that feels positive, hopeful, and doable. It's the brand new Differently Wired Club experience. In the club, you'll get personal support from me and other seasoned parent coaches, six live calls every month where you can connect and get your personal questions answered, the opportunity to learn directly from authors and experts like I have on this show, monthly themes for getting specific and tactical, an exclusive private podcast feed, and the best, most generous community of parents. Seriously, these folks show up for themselves and each other, and that right there is really everything. Because it's a daily reminder that we're not alone. Our kids aren't broken, and we have totally got this. The recently rebooted Differently Wired Club is on a brand new platform with its very own iOS and Android app. It is such a great space. However you learn, whatever your style, no matter the ages, genders, and neurodivergent profile of your children, the Differently Wired Club can help you cultivate the positive shifts you're hoping for. Join us today by going to tiltparenting.com slash club. That's tiltparenting.com slash club. I hope to see you on the inside. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt-free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. Just to circle back to the Pokemon Go... Yeah, as we're recording this, it's really just in the past week, blown up to be this huge phenomenon. And every weekend I send my husband and son out, I just kind of kick them out of the house because I need some time (laughs) to myself in here. Uh And they often will go for a walk in Vondel Park, which is kind of our central park. It's a huge city park. They'll take a notebook and they call it their idea walks. Well, This time, Darren came home and he said, hey, we played Pokemon Go and they had a blast. They were out there for hours in the park finding Pokemon. So my son is very screen focused when he's at home. So I'm also not sure how I feel about this yet in terms of the blending with the outdoor time. But I'll be very curious to see how see how that game kind of develops and how it's being used. I'm just reading articles every day on all sides of the conversation. So it's kind of an interesting phenomenon. It is. I'm dragging my heels a little longer. My daughter's already begging, but I'm dragging my heels. Yeah. Kind of <laughs> I just want to do a little more reading and watch it over a little time. <laughs> well, and then there's before there was Pokemon Go, you know, families might want to go looking at geocaching. Mm-hmm. You've got a cell phone, it's got a GPS on it, you can geocache with that. And there's, you go to an online website and it gives you locations of caches near you and you have to go find them wherever they are. Some of them are in cities, a lot of them are in city parks, they're in more nature areas. 
And it's kind of fun to be able to bag it, you know, and say, I found this cache. You can go online and log that you found it. Some of them, if they're not, the micro caches don't have this, but the bigger ones, they have a little logbook. You can actually sign your name in the logbook and you can leave some little teensy tiny gifty thing and take one back out for yourself. And so there, it's a bit of a treasure hunt to it. That's one we've done with some of our older kids. We haven't really done that with Anna, but we've done it with older kids. Yeah, I love that. I That's a good a good tip. And I know that I do know some families who geocache and that's become kind of their whole family weekend activity. And when they travel, you know, it's something you can do all over the world. It's really cool. So before we say goodbye, I I'm, I'm just have to ask, what is next for you? Do you have your next big hike picked out or dates or scheduled? Um, yes and no. Right now, what we're doing is for the summer, we are actually living in our RV in an RV park. So daddy's working during the week. He comes and join us, joins us on the weekends. But it was a way to try to say, can we live in a city with lots of people, but be in a more na- nature area? So we're doing that right now. And the month of September, we're driving the RV down to Texas. So across the country and I'm um, going to live in an RV park down there that's right on a river. So opportunities for a few different kinds of outdoor things. But also that's where my two grandbabies are. So one of them is brand new. So we're going to go play with my grandbabies, her nieces. And then when we get back in the end of September, we are planning at least two weeks. It depends on the weather. We may be able to stretch it to four weeks back on the Appalachian Trail. Um, we'll be needing to go further south so it's a little warmer. But yeah, we're, we're going to be going back on the trail again this fall and um, do another section. She's excited. The section we're going to include has wild horses. And apparently if you stand real, if you try to move towards them, they run away. But if you stand real still or sit real still, they will eventually come up right around you and kind of check you out. And they apparently like if you're real sweaty, they try to lick your arms. I'm not sure I want that. (laughs) She thinks that sounds cool. But yeah, that's our next adventure that's coming. Oh, that sounds awesome. And just to just to clarify for listeners, you are homeschooling Anna, correct? That's correct. Yeah. Some parents might be like, wait, how are you getting all this time out of school? So that's part of your educational experience. Yes. And so while we're on the trail, we add in, you know, educational academic things on the trail. For example, we take my Kindle and we have a whole number of different poets that write outdoor poetry. And so we read those to each other. And she has been memorizing all kinds of poetry when we're out on the trail. And then, as you said, the science things, you know, she can look at some of the biology sorts of things of where we are. So we have, we've fold in academics while we're out there. And then when we come back home, that's when we really kind of focus down on the math and the the sorts of academics that don't work so well when you're hiking. (laughs) Right. And then lastly, do you keep a blog or is there somewhere where listeners who want to kind of follow along with what you're up to can can do that? Yes, I blog on WordPress. And so we I keep a blog on um, the address is www.thebigepic.wordpress.com. And I post once or twice a week, and it's all about the various adventures that we are taking and doing um, with lots of photos because I like to take photographs. So, yeah, I would love to have anybody connect there. And if anybody wanted to kind of talk more about things that we do, I love dialoguing with other parents and feel free to leave a message in the comments in the blog. And we could take it offline and, and email directly back and forth if any parents wanted to do that. Fantastic. Thank you. Um, I look forward to checking out your blog as well. And thank you so much for just taking the time to be a part of this podcast and sharing your story with us. It's just been fascinating. And I look forward to following your adventures in the fall. Great. Thanks, Debbie. It's been fun to talk. 
Thank you so much for listening to the Tilt Parenting Podcast. To learn more about Jill and see the show notes for this episode, visit www.tiltparenting.com slash session 17. And if you know of other parents raising unique kids who would connect with our mission, enjoy listening to our podcast and be a part of the Tilt community, we invite you to help us spread the word. And if you're not already following us on Facebook, please like our page at facebook.com slash tiltparenting. We do our best to curate the best articles we can find that inform, support, and inspire the important work we're all doing as parents of Differently Wired Kids. We'd love for you to be a part of the conversation. Thanks again for listening. For more information on Tilt and to sign up for our community, visit TiltParenting.com. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.